Good morning. What an exciting day in worship as we gather. Hey, I want to give you a quick little family update. It's the beginning of a new month. And I know that every uh, week that we have guests that come in and join us. And so if you are a guest, if Bel Air is not your church home, you're just going to kind of listen in. Uh, I just want to share with the Bel Air family, those that call Bel Air their church home, a quick little financial update. Many of you are aware that we end our fiscal year at the end of this month. So our fiscal year staggers off of the calendar year. And as we look towards this last month, just want to give you a quick update that our month of May, it's a difficult month. We actually received less giving uh, than we typically plan for, just short of $100,000 less than normally uh, that is given in the month of May. So as staff, we're responding well to that. We want to be good stewards with the finances that come in. But what that does is it leaves us in this last month of the fiscal year in June. It's a month that we just began that we need $800,000 to come in and giving in order for us to end the fiscal year without a deficit. And some of you, I can see the look on your face, it's what I feel, wow, that's a lot. It's a lot for one person. Yes, it is. But thankfully, we are a large church, and we have thousands that call Beller their church home. And we look at last June, for example, 675000 was given just in that month. When you think about the exponential impact that we can collectively make when we each individually say, God, how would you spend me through this church and this season for what God wants to do? We absolutely believe that it is possible for us to finish this fiscal year well so that we don't have to draw further upon the line of credit. So would you join me in praying for that $800,000 deficit? And, And let me say this, some of you, you're already giving. Thank you that we collectively who are part of the church that are giving, uh, it's in this season where we want to continue to give. Some of you, you've been part of this church for many years, but perhaps you don't really see giving as part of what it means to follow Christ. And I ask that you would pray about it, that you would say, God, what do you require of me? What do you want from me? What can I give so that I can be an indispensable part of what God is doing in and through this church? And again, some of you are first-time guests. Some of you are part of other churches. And our hope and our prayer is that you would see this moment as one in which we as a church turn to our God in trust because He's a sufficient one. He can provide immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's turn to Him in prayer. Why don't we go to Him now? Loving God, we thank You for this moment that we can come to You again. And You are a God of miracles. You are a God that has split the Red Sea, that has stopped the sun, that has raised people from the dead, that has healed people in this church miraculously, that has made many here whole, that has caused some to come to Christ for the first time, to have hope in relationships, a second chance in marriages. God, you are the God of the impossible because all things are possible for you. And so we ask and we pray, God, that you would increase our hunger and our longing and our generosity to give towards what you're doing in this, in this place, on this hill, in this city and around the world. And would we look back on this next month amazed, God, at the miraculous. So God, we trust you. We know that people give in different ways, and we pause to thank you for what you have given for us. And may we simply give in response, not to earn your love, but in response to your love. Jesus, we thank you for it, your love, your patience, your presence. And it's in your name we pray and we say together, amen. 
Well, I'm also very excited to let you know that if you've missed any of this sermon series, you came on the perfect Sunday because we're wrapping up this five-week sermon series. And in fact, what we've been doing is we've actually been borrowing from the field of photography to to really understand a different approach or maybe a, a way that we can understand who God is. And so this sermon series, if you look on the cover of your bulletin, we're calling it Long Exposure. Now, some photography, you know, is really quick in its exposure. So you can have a really fast shutter speed. You can take a photograph of a hummingbird in flight, and it appears that that hummingbird is just floating in midair. So quick is that snapshot. Now, long exposure photography goes the other end of the spectrum. It actually has a very slow exposure. The lens is opened up for a longer amount of time, allowing more light to come in, So you get a sense of the movement and the scope, a broader perspective, a bigger perspective of whatever is in the viewfinder. So if you've never seen long exposure photography, take a look at this. I love this. So you would never be able to see this with your own eye, but someone used long exposure photography to capture somebody with a sparkler making that heart shape. And what has happened is that light, the movement of light is captured in a way that gives you a bigger, a broader, a grander perspective than what you can see with your own eye. Take a look at this next one. How cool is that, that Ferris wheel? You can see that sense of motion, that sense of movement. And the way that that works is that exposure is open long enough to allow more light in so you get this sense of of movement. Take a look at this last one. I love this. This is a, a technique that many long exposure photographers are using. This is that gentleman actually has steel wool that he's spinning around and the sparks are flying off. You can see him almost absolutely still right in the middle of that. Somebody sitting propped up against that tree. And again, you would never be able to see this with your naked eye, you with a quick exposure would never be able to get the grandness and the broadness of that perspective. And really what's required for long exposure photography is at least these three things. First, the camera has to be absolutely still. It can't be moving, it can't be shaking, it has to be absolutely still. Second, you have to have a wide angle lens. And then third, you have to have the shutter speed slow enough so that the exposure is long enough. It could be two seconds, five seconds. It could be a minute. It could be an hour. It could be an entire day. And so what happens is is you get this amazing image that gives you a broader perspective of the movement of light. What a great metaphor for understanding who God is when Scripture says that God is light, that truth is light, that His Word is light, that Christ is referred to as the light of the world. And so what we're doing is we're not taking a quick snapshot, which let's say is more convenient, right? We live in a busy world. We live in a frantic world. We live in a hurried world. We've got a lot to do. We've got a lot of things that we've got to get done by the end of the day and a lot of demands that we have on us. And on one hand, it's great that we have resources and even things on our phone that give us kind of the the biblical thought of the day or the verse of the day and we can kind of get our 30-second quiet time in. But the problem is if you try to get to know a God through just quick snapshots, you'll just have a very limited perspective on who He really is. But rather, if you're willing to be still enough for long enough, 
If you're able to have a wide enough perspective, all of Scripture, all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, you actually begin to allow yourself to be open enough to allow the light of the world to flood in, to begin to understand more and more of what it means for us to know a God who is loving. That was the first week, a God who is able in the second week, a God who is present. So we talked about in the third week. Last week, the God who is holy. And so today, we're going to take a very quick look at this God who I know, this God who we can know. And before I get into this passage, why don't you open it up? If you have those Bibles, maybe you uh, brought one, you could open it to 1 John chapter 1. In case you don't know, there's a little cubby right behind the front rows, right behind your leg. There's a red book that's our pew Bible. There's one right in front of you as well. You can grab those. As we go to 1 John chapter 1, it's on page 989 in the pew Bible. As you're getting there, let me tell you a quick little story about the gentleman who wrote this letter. So the Apostle John was the same one who wrote the gospel according to John. Again, page 989. True story. Uh, John, as he was in his 80s, wrote this. And there's this amazing true story, historical account that comes to us by way of a gentleman, a historian by the name of Eusebius. What a great name, huh? Eusebius. And so he tells this quick little story, true story, of how John began to mentor a young man. Here we are on Confirmation Sunday. A lot of mentoring going on, a lot of more mentoring that we want to have. And so this gentleman in his 80s is mentoring this young man. And he has to leave. He has to go somewhere else. He has to go to a different city. So what he does is he entrusts this young man into the care of the local bishop. And he says, I want you to take care of him. And when I return, I will continue mentoring him. And so John goes away, comes back. He asks the bishop, where's that young man that I was mentoring? And the bishop says, ah, he's dead. Oh, John says, what? What happened? How did he die? He says, well, he's not dead, but he's, he's dead to his faith. In fact, he just kind of got wrapped up in his old way of living. In fact, he actually got wrapped up in this band of robbers, and they're actually going through the city, and they're they're stealing from people, and actually they're hid out up in the mountains, out in the caves. So how does this man, 80 years old, how does he respond? The historical account is this, that he tears his clothes, he screams aloud, and he says, get me a horse. True story. They bring him a horse. He gets on the horse. He rides up into the mountains. He goes into the caves. He gets captured. These young marauders say, we've captured you. He says, yes, that's the point. Take me to your leader. Goes to the leader. It's the young man who he used to mentor. He sees him. This young man sees John, this 80-year-old, with a torn cloak who just came and ran on horseback. And the little young man runs. He runs. He flees. He's ashamed. So what does this 80-year-old man do? He runs after him. And Eusebius says this, forgetting his age, he takes off running after the young man, screaming, yelling, I love you. I love you. Come back with me. I will gladly suffer anything for you because Christ has suffered for me. Believe me. Trust me. I love you. Christ has sent me. The young man stops. He turns around. He sees this this man who forgot his age. And he's so overwhelmed with love that he drops his weapons and he goes with John and then lives a life 
a life to the full that Jesus promised. Where does an 80-year-old man get that kind of courage to say, give me a horse, to forget his age, to go running after a young man who needs mentoring, who needs hope, who needs love? Where does he, kind of, where does he get that? Well, it came from a relationship with his Creator. It came from a relationship with his God. It came from a deep and intimate experiential relationship. He didn't just know about God. He knew God. And so, that man writes this. Let me read 1 John 1, 1 through 7. Picture that man on the horse <laughs> writing this. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. So today we're talking about a God who we can know. And John in his 80s writes this and he says, I know this God. And he's light, and it's flooded into my life. And what's so amazing is he even uses that phrase, the word of life. Because typically, if you want to get to know someone, you spend time with them, right? And you listen to the words that they say. And as they tell you about their background, they tell you about their favorite food, they tell you about where they went to school, and they tell you about maybe the things that they love and don't love. Actually, as you take in their words, you actually you get to know them, right? That's how, that's how relationships happen. You think of your best friend. You think of family members. You think of people that you really know, not just know about, but you know. It's because you took in their words. And so in the same way, we actually have an opportunity to take in the words from God. In fact, kind of like this metaphor of long exposure, Scripture says that God's Word, God's truth is light. Even the psalmist says that your Word is a lamp unto my path and a light. What, 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 an, what an image, what, 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 a, what a phenomenal metaphor to see God's words as light that can actually shine into us. But the amazing thing is, is that John says, yeah, that word actually, we've seen him. These aren't just words on a paper. This isn't just ideas. This isn't just kind of like nice fortune cookie sayings. This isn't just a good to-do list. This isn't just something that you can just apply to your life. This isn't just a way you can live or a truth. This isn't something you could aspire to. Actually, there is a word and he, we've seen him. The same John that wrote that also wrote the gospel according to John. Open those Bibles back up and turn to John chapter 1. You got to hook a left. I'm not sure what the page number is in the Pew Bibles. It's 94 in mine. That won't help you at all unless you have this one. What is it? 862. 
Thank you, Edie. 862, you can get there quicker. Same guy talking about this word of life that we have seen, that we have touched, that has impacted us. Right? It's the same thing. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. So John is revealing to us where he gets that source of courage, where he gets that sense of stability, that peace, that joy. He says, I've, I've taken in the Word. And it's not just the written Word. It's not just the truth. It's not just the light that is God's law and truth and all those things. But I've actually, I've taken in the light of the world, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. It's, it's no coincidence that Jesus was born in the middle of the night when it should be dark and it was bright as day. And it's no coincidence that when Jesus was crucified in the middle of the day, it was dark as night. It's no coincidence that Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. It's no coincidence that when you take the light of the world into your life, when you take the Word into your life, that you actually, you begin to know God in a deeper and richer way. It is so easy for us to come to church year after year, week after week, hour after hour, minute after minute, and miss that the only way we can truly know who God is is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Jesus says not, I am a way or a truth or a life. He says, I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father. No one knows the Father, Jesus says, except through me. Paul says to the church in Colossae that Jesus is the image, the visible image. You can see the visible image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. You want to get to know God? Take a long look at Jesus. And that's what John did. And he didn't do it in isolation. He did so in community. And if you want to know this God in a personal way, in a way that will transform your life, that will give you hope, that will enable you to get through the darkest times in your life, that will actually give the reason why you have the good things in your life, you have to take in the Word, not just the written Word, but the living Word, Jesus Christ. And if you have not yet said yes to Jesus, you'll never know God. You'll never know your Creator. And you'll be faced going through life, trying to do things on your own, and you'll never be able to say, get me a horse. And never will you truly run after somebody out of love. It will be because of your own whatever, your own need or your own need to be good or that or this. But to respond in such a way that you would risk life and limb, to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone first begins with taking in the Word, Jesus Christ, and actually beginning to spend time in the Word. You can't know God without, without actually spending… By the way, I'm talking to myself right here. I realize you're listening in for a moment, but Drew, you can't really get to know God without spending time in the Word. So you need to spend more time in the Word, not just preparing for sermons. And if that helps you at all in any way listening into that, 
then let it help you because we absolutely need to be immersed in God's Word to allow it to transform us. The only way we can understand God's Word is to stand under it, to allow it to have authority in our life. And I'm telling you that exponentially, the more you spend time in Scripture, the more you'll actually begin to know God in a personal way. You'll not just know about His peace and about His joy and about His love as some concept that's out there, but you'll actually begin to experience it. Now, the crazy thing is, is that when you begin to take in the Word of God, you'll actually begin to learn that the very first thing that you have to take in is God's love. But actually, if you were to spend time in Scripture, if you were actually beginning to to really sit under Scripture, there's actually this, this continuing narrative throughout all of Scripture that God is pursuing us out of love. And even John writes later in this section, he says that the only way that we can love others is because God first loved us. And so in the same way that we can take in God's Word, we've got to take in God's love. Now, I want to be absolutely clear because it's so easy for many of us to keep coming to church and miss this significant point. I had a long conversation with somebody yesterday morning. Here I am, Saturday morning, on the phone with a gentleman who no longer is part of this church. He's moved away. He's far, far away. But he got contacted by somebody in this church whom he loves deeply, who doesn't have the resources to get through this difficult time right now. And this person who called me out of love for a friend says, you know what, I don't, I don't think that they really know at a deep level, personally, this relationship with God. I'm just thinking, wow, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. And this person said, you know, people can come year after year, decade after decade, and learn about God. It can get in the head, but as that great song that's out right now, it's got to get from the head to the heart. And this person is going through the ringer right now doesn't really know God as a God of love. They perceive God as a God who's angry, who's a tyrant, who says, you've got to love me in order to measure up so that I love you back, and who actually sees all the circumstances of their life as being the result of whether they were either good or bad. So when things are good, their business is going well, oh, I must be doing good things for God. But now when things are tough, they feel like God's punishing them. That's a made-up image of God that isn't true. It isn't the God that we can come to know if we spend time in Scripture. You see, the amazing thing is when you actually spend time in God's Word, if you allow His love to flood in your life, then you actually, you begin to see that there are circumstances that God will allow in your life for a purpose. In fact, you can go through all of Scripture. You can go to Exodus 6, 7, for example. And you can see there that God says, you know, I'm, I'm going to deliver you, nation of Israel, from Egypt, from Pharaoh, so that you will know that I am your Lord, that I am your God. Later on in Exodus 7, 5, God says through Moses, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm to send plagues down. It's going to be messy. It's going to be awful. I'm going to send those things down so that you will know that I am the Lord your God. Later on, he says, I'm going to provide manna in the desert so that you will know that I'm the Lord your God. Later on, he sets up Aaron as the high priest. He says, I'm going to set up this whole priest. I'm going to do all these things so that you will know that I'm the Lord your God. 
from beginning to end through all of Scripture, it seems to be that there's this heartbeat of God that beats throughout all of it, and it's this, that God just wants to be known for who God really is. Doesn't force us, doesn't coerce us, and says, I just want to be known. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that the longings of our heart? God says, I just want to be known, and I'm actually, I'm going to allow circumstances in your life so that you can know me more. And what's so crazy, I look back on my, my journey, April 8th, 2000, I gave my life to Christ through the college ministry of this church. And I look back on that long journey and I realize it wasn't seminary, it wasn't getting my doctorate, it wasn't listening to sermons, it wasn't doing any study on my own that has really caused the depth of my knowledge of God other than two of the worst experiences in my life. When my younger brother died, I was confronted with doubt and fear and anger. I needed to not just know about God's comfort, I needed His comfort. And that was one of the worst experiences of my life. And the amazing thing is, as hard as it was, as awful as as it was, if I could undo it, I wish I could. But it was through that that I began to know God in such a deep and rich way. I began to experience what the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth. He prays it. He says, would you know the God of all compassion and comfort who comforts you in your time of trial so that you can comfort others with that same compassion and comfort you got from God? And here's the crazy thing is in those hard experiences, not only have I known God in a deeper way, God has actually been made known through me through those awful seasons. So I officiate over a lot of funerals, a lot of memorials, in the last 12 years of ministry. In the first five minutes of every meeting with a family, it's just the worst. They don't want to be there. The last thing they want to do is talk about their loved one who just passed from a plan, a service for them. And it's usually about five minutes in where I'll say, you know, I've never, I've never lost a spouse. I've never lost a child. I've never lost a parent, but I lost my brother. And here's what I went through. And here's how I know God showed up. And in that instant, the room changes. They look at me differently and they say, tell me, tell me about that God. And how ironic and how odd and yet how beautiful in some ways that the worst thing that ever happened has now become the thing that God is using to make Him known. The second is the long journey of infertility my wife and I went through. Awful. Awful. I know even as I share these things, it stirs up emotions in your own life. But I'm telling you, I was forced to this point of having to really know who God is. I got to the end of myself, and I actually had to be broken of this misconception because I'd go to God and I'd say, look, God, I'm doing all these things for you. I would be such a great parent. I'm a pastor in a church, and I basically listed all the great things about my wife and the few things about me, and I said, look, we'd be great parents. And that was actually a distorted view of how the world works because what I was doing up until that point is I was saying, God, you owe me because of what I've done for you. It's the Pharisee. He says, 
God, thank, thank you that I'm not like this one over here. I, I, I fast and I pray. Look at me. And I felt like God used that in such a way where I had to know Him as my righteousness. I had to know Him as my provision. I had to know Him as the ultimate one who would give me that joy and that peace. It's so crazy how God has used that to make Him known. I spent an hour after the 6 p.m. service talking with a couple last week who in the midst of that conversation hadn't been in church in like 15 years here. They'd been churches elsewhere, and they decided to show up, and they felt like they really needed to be here. And they were asking me questions about, you know, how long have you been married? Do you have kids? I said, well, I got a four-year-old, but that is a long story. And they said, tell me the story. So that's why we were there for an hour, tears coming down their face, and they're saying, can we talk to your wife? Can we meet with you? We had no idea. But we're in the midst of that right now. Never did we know that that would be a ministry. You've got things in your life that you're going through. And the amazing thing is, Scripture says this, that God has allowed that promotion, that God has allowed that job loss, that God has allowed that cancer remission, that God has allowed all the good things in your life, that God has allowed all the bad things in your life so that you would know Him more, that you would experience Him more, that you, in a dynamic way, would be able to trust and to experience the fullness of who He is. And the crazy thing is this, that He actually is allowing those things so that He would be made known through you. You just got that job to make Him known. You're about to go on vacation to make Him known. You're here on vacation to make Him known. You just got that diagnosis that you don't want. You just lost your job. Your marriage is falling apart, and He wants to be made known through you. And how's that going to happen? Well, first, it's by being absolutely still. In the midst of the busyness of life, and saying, God, I need a bigger, I need a broader perspective. I cannot see it with my own eyes. I want a bigger lens. I want to, I want to know all of your word. I want it to flood into my life. And I, I, I don't want this church, and I want community, or the church that I'm a part of somewhere else. I want them to shape me so that I can receive more and more of your light into my life. And then Jesus says this. He says, when you allow the light of the world to come in your life, then now you are the light of the world, he says to the church that you all, you're a city on a hill. It can't be covered up. He says this, he says, go. Let your, shi- let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds. And why? Not praise you, but to praise your Father in heaven. God wants you to know Him for who He really is. And He wants to use you to make Him known. This whole time we've been talking about this long exposure. But have you ever thought to consider that maybe you, what you're in, might be part of the long exposure for somebody else to see God, to know God, to see this God who is love, who is able, who is present, who is holy, who who can be known. Jesus, the Christ, says, I have come so that you may know that I love you. It's a costly love that Jesus says, you don't have to pay. I've paid it on your behalf. That's what it means for us to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Get me a horse, John says. What will you say as that love and that light shines through you? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment. And even as we prepare our hearts, to come to your table 
we were reminded in such a precious way that you didn't ask us to come to you to be in some way known by our good deeds, but rather you came to us to reveal yourself to us. Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You have come to make the unknown known. We thank you that you come full of grace and truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We sit together. Amen.